This past week, I learned about something I probably should have known about before. It's called the bystander effect. Anybody here know about the bystander effect? Well, the bystander effect occurs when the presence of other people discourages an individual person from intervening in an emergency situation. So the more people are watching something happen, the less likely anyone is to act or intervene. Social psychologists Bib Latane and John Darley popularized this concept of the bystander effect following the infamous 1964 Kitty Genovese murder in New York City when around 30 people observed the end of Kitty's life from behind their windows without stepping in to help or even calling the police despite Kitty's desperate cries from the streets below. Latanya and Darley attributed this behavior to the bystander effect, to this perceived diffusion of responsibility. The more people who watched the event, the less likely anyone was to intervene. To understand why roughly 30 people, 30 good people who actually knew Kitty and lived in her neighborhood, to understand how they could stand idly by while a neighbor's life came to a tragic end, Latanya and Darley created a study where participants were told they would be on a phone call with other people. During this phone call, a person on the line would start indicating that they were having some sort of a medical emergency. Now, in the calls where the participants in the study thought they were the only person, the only other person on the line, they were compelled to act, getting up out of their chairs going out of the study room, running down the hall, screaming and crying for help. But if the participants in the study believed that there were other people on the phone, when the person started describing their medical emergency, they would sit there idly and calmly waiting for someone else to act. I came across this research in a video article in the New York Times that was reflecting on the phenomena of people catching a tragedy or an injustice or an event on Facebook Live with their phones, standing around and watching the event, but not choosing to participate. A phenomena, it seems, is becoming more and more common. People taping or videoing an event and posting it live, but not putting their phones down and getting involved. With greater connectivity, and and technology, and an awareness, a good awareness of all that is happening in our world, it seems that we are becoming more and more a world of observers, willing to watch almost anything, but rarely willing to act. A junior hire who was fairly active in a congregation I served came home from his first mission trip with this renewed sense of hope. The the boy was not a hopeful kid by default, and so when he came back energized, we were all curious as to why. When I asked him why he had this new sense of hope, his answer kind of surprised me because he was at church each and every Sunday for years. Well, on this trip, he said, much like the kid's trip this past week, on this trip, I learned, I met a lot of different people who were doing out there doing good things in the world every single day, trying to make a difference. During the trip, he had visited an inner-city mission that was working with homeless people. 
the underserved in the city doing things like you heard today, giving them food, job training, a listening ear, a safe place to sleep. The young man went on. It was amazing to see all the ways those people helped homeless people, people who could never pay them back for their help. I mean, I really wish, Pastor, that there were more people doing good things for other people, bigger groups, bigger places, larger groups. But I must say, I'm glad to know someone is doing something. It makes me feel better about the world I live in. I'm glad to know someone is doing something. Amen to that. From the very beginning, the followers of Jesus Christ were known for one thing in particular. They were known for their love for one another. If there was one defining attribute of those first few generations of Christians, it was their commitment to putting their love into action. Now, in Greek, there are four words for love. You've probably heard this before. Philos, the love between friends. Eros, a romantic love. Storg, the love between members of a family like a brother or a sister. And then agape, this divine, eternal love. In today's passage, Paul uses the word agape when he speaks of love. And what makes this agape he speaks of different from the other types of love is that this divine, eternal love he speaks of is more a doing than it is a feeling. You see, agape, this love, is not an emotion we have to feel, like eros or philos. It's an action, a commitment. When I, when I first discovered that I could love someone and not like them, I felt this freedom I never felt before. We don't have to approve of the behavior of a person we love with agape love. We don't have to like them or even enjoy their company All we have to do is act on behalf of that person to put our love into action, to demonstrate to them and to others our love for them in some tangible, real way. Someone who's committed to agape then, despite the complexities of any situation, will do whatever they can to feed a hungry person, to give a drink of water to someone who's thirsty, to welcome a stranger, to clothe a naked person, and to visit the sick and those who are in prison knowing that they'll have nothing little to gain from the interaction. It's not about them. It's about showing others the nature of love. This is the love of which Paul writes about in his letter to the church in Philippi. And he writes the letter while he himself is in prison, which is amazing when you think about it, because despite his present situation behind bars and his concern that his friends in Philippi might be suffering soon like he is, Paul's greatest hope for them, for this new church, was not that they would be protected from suffering, not that they would grow wise in their years, not that they would find unseen power and strength. What Paul prays for each and every day for them is that their love, their agape, their willingness to act, would overflow. Given one thing to pray for, Paul chose love. But again, this love he's praying for is not a passionate love. It's not a brotherly or sisterly love or a familial love. It's a divine, eternal love expressed in tangible actions. Actions done on behalf of another person. Now, Paul's smart. He knows this kind of love is not something people can create on their own. It's difficult. This is the kind of love 
that we need help doing. It's not easy. It requires assistance, which is why Paul believes that agape love is something we learn to live in and experience and participate in, even while we seek to live it out ourselves. It's something that is around us, moving in us and through us and with us, waiting for us to join in the good work that's already begun. Agape love, you see, compels us into action on behalf of another person because always acting on our behalf in any given moment. Paul expresses this understanding of love in his favorite phrase, en Christo, or in Christ. Whenever Paul says you are in Christ, he is saying you are in agape love. To be a person committed to this kind of love is to be a person committed to living more and more in Christ's love that we believe is always at work in the world. Speaking of the world, maybe it's just me. I'm a pastor. I get paid to think about these things. But it seems to me that more than ever, people are less likely to turn to love as the answer to any question. The buzzwords we hear today online, in the news, and in circles of people, in leadership circles, are words like leadership and strength and power and authenticity and being well-defined. In response to social ills and perceived political chaos and human tragedy here and around the globe, people talk about justice and equity and personal responsibility, which are all incredibly good things. But it seems that no one is mentioning love as an actual real solution. I say it, you turn on the TV, you will not hear love come from a politician's mouth or a newscaster. I don't hear love talked about in my circles of friends when we're struggling with social issues at school or at our neighborhood. You don't hear love mentioned in foreign policy, in personal conflicts, in social troubles, in family squabbles, or even as people struggle with how to grow the church. And yet love is what we are commanded to do and what we're called to be about. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the greatest of all commandments. As the world gets smaller and more connected, with more and more ways for us to observe safely in our rooms all that is happening around us. In fact, right now, if you could take out your phone, you could download an app in a few minutes that will allow you to watch in real time people living halfway around the world, people in war zones, people in hunger, people in conflict. You can watch everything that's happening in the world from the comfort of your own bedroom. As this is happening and we can see everything and know that others are watching it with us, I'm wondering if we're getting way too comfortable watching all these tragic events with millions of other people, so comfortable, in fact, that our sense of personal connection to them or personal responsibility for them is beginning to wax and wane. Instead of being compelled when we see something tragic, instead of being compelled to act, we have become satisfied to just sit back and watch. This temptation is not new, of course. It's far from a new phenomena. There have always been those who prefer to watch from the sidelines instead of getting involved. But in our hyper-connected world, this tendency to watch and not to act is being played out in new and interesting ways. A few years ago, you might recall the ice bucket challenge. People online putting water in ice. Yeah, it was a wonderfully terrifying thing to do, um, to stand there and videotape, be videotaped, having a bucket of ice water poured over your head. This amazing fundraising idea harnessed the best of social media to raise millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for important ALS research. 
In addition to the money raised that made good progress in the fight against ALS, the Ice Bucket Challenge was also such a great success because it spread the word about ALS and what it was. It also, which I loved, it normalized charitable behavior. It made giving cool, which is a great thing for institutions like our own. But as more people participated in the Ice Bucket Challenge and watched it unfold online, a really interesting thing happened. 90% of the people who posted images of themselves being doused in a bucket of ice water or shared the word with others on social media, 90% of those people did not make a donation. As more people watched the event unfold, less people acted because they felt somebody else would. So as those who are commanded to put our love into action, how do we guard against this bystander effect having an effect on us? How do we guard against the temptation to feel satisfied when we like a post or forward an article or add our favorite emoji to some cause? In a time where there are so many ways to watch all that's happening, how do we stay committed to action? Well, in my experience, the only way we will choose love, and when I say love, I mean action, the only way we'll choose acts of compassion, no matter what, is to know that we are loved no matter what. And the only way we know we are loved no matter what is to claim God's love for us, a love that was made manifest to us and to the world through the actions of Jesus. To grow in our capacity to love others, we need to live in, experience, live in, saturate ourselves with this good news, this good news revealed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And here is that good news in summarized form, a good news we are invited to live in and commanded to share. It's simply this, you're loved. Right now, as you are, I don't care what you did this morning or this week or what you failed to do the past year, you are loved no matter what by the God who made you, claims you, and is with you every day of your life. You are loved. That is the good news. You are loved. And so is Donald Trump, and so is Hillary Clinton, and so is Draymond Green. You are loved, and so are the men and women of ISIS who strap on vests full of explosives, and so are gang members that are plaguing our city streets. You are loved, and so is the bully in your class, the drug dealer on your street, and the sex offender around the corner. All of us are loved, period, no matter what. And this love that God has for us is more than a feeling. It's an act of God. It's an act of compassion that equips us to do what needs to be done by putting us, placing us, surrounding us, encompassing us, saturating us in Christ with this love that never, ever ends. As those who are in Christ, who are in that love, we are called to love people no matter what. In every situation, in every conflict, in every broken relationship, in every time of uncertainty, our prayer and our hope for one another and for the world is that we would overflow in our capacity to love one another. Not like one another or accept one another, but to act on behalf of other people. If we do that, we might grow in our knowledge and full insight to determine 
what is best, as Paul says, or what is needed, or what can be done. In a moment, you're going to have a chance to share with others where you have seen this agape love and action this week. You've got a card in your bulletin. There are three small tables at the end of the aisles. I encourage you during the hymn. There'll be a pause after the sermon where you can write down some thoughts. During the final hymn, the middle hymn, you can bring them forward to share. We're doing this partially the staff just wants to see and hear where you have seen love play out this week. But also, I think it's really important to remember and to affirm what good things are happening in the world right now. If love is real and it's an active force in our life that we can step into and invite others to step into, noticing where it is is an important step in that process. So think deeply about this. Share your thoughts. Susan's going to go through all those cards the best she can and during the prayer incorporate them. If we can't get to your prayers today, we'll talk about them as a staff during the week. But think about where you've seen love at work because we believe that God is love, making a difference every day through real, concrete acts of compassion and love. Amen.